You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Locked On Seminoles. Happy Friday. I hope y'all are geared up. For an immaculate weekend, I'm your host, Max, and in just a moment, we're going to kick it over to me, Drake, and Trey Roland for part two of two of our interview with him. So hope you all enjoyed part one. If you haven't listened to it yet, it was yesterday's episode. Go back and give it a listen first. Thank me later. Then come back and hear part two. If you've already listened to part one, then you're ready to rock and roll. So without further ado, let's head on over to me, Drake. And Mr. Trey Roland. All right. So let's talk about, I guess, mid spring. We're getting ready to head into actual spring football out of the tour of duty. What assistant coach gets the Trey Roland gold star oh, for the man. the current, I don't know what to call where we're at, but I guess what? The can offseason conditioning and recruiting. Who gets the gold star? Who gets the gold star? Um Alex Atkins is my favorite assistant coach. If I would go the coach who I think is pulling the most weight on the recruiting trail, I think you'd be hard pressed to say anybody, but Marcus Woodson, Mm -hmm. what, what, and I don't know if you consider this a black mark against Norvell or not, since he wasn't actually Mike Norvell's first choice. He hired TJ rushing who went to A&M, but my God, what a happy accident, dude. The recruits love them. Travis Hunter loves them. They're pulling, they pulled Sam McCall. They're, they obviously the the message that he sent resonated with all the transfer recruits, Jamie Robinsons, the Brandon Moores, the Jarquez McClellians, like the Marcus Woodson and almost every recruiting interview you hear Marcus Woodson's name is mentioned. That guy is a certified top dog recruiter and he's great. And I also do want to shout out David Johnson as well. There is a nice, that's my guy. There's a nice Florida state to like Louisiana connection. They brought in, they brought in Destin Hill. They ended that recruitment. There's going to be like at least two and a half times longer than Zack Snyder's justice league cut. Like that was the longest <laughs> recruitment in the history of the world. Is that drop tomorrow? I think that drops tomorrow, right? Uh, that door. drops the 18th. I think actually yeah, I will. Yeah. I will be, I will be partaking a hundred percent hands down but, Oh, the day after St. Patrick's day on the couch, a little hungover, throw yeah. a three and a half hour justice league, get some Chipotle too. Dude. Yeah, just crapping yourself and, and watching justice league, just like a true American. Um, no, I got, I'll go Marcus Woodson. Just I'm, I'm so impressive. I'm really impressed with most of these coaches on the staff. So yeah. then let me let me be the party pooper because that's one of my favorite things to do. Which is the one that you need to see more from from this staff going forward? And why is um, it Mike Fuller? No, no, Adam Fuller. He's nah, yeah, whatever. Mike, Mike Fuller's the guy you work with that we correct you a thousand times on. But. It's fine. It's Mike Fuller. <laughs> well, I'll yeah, call. I mean the biggest everybody's eyes on the defense. Now when I when I would we break down the film every week on the triple option on YouTube, like there was a multitude of different plays where Adam Fuller had the correct call and one guy was misaligned or one guy wasn't doing his job. And there really was, he didn't do a great job. He did not do as bad of a job as was strewn about in the fan base who I don't blame because trying to wrap your mind around how garbage that defense was, was it's tough, man. Your mind goes to some very dark places, but yeah, Adam Fuller is definitely the biggest on the hot seat. There needs to be, there's no excuses now. 
You've got, mm-hmm. you went to Mike Norvell and you're like, Hey, I need you to use about six or seven of our transfer spots on defense. And he did it. You've got legit pass rushers. Tremaine Johnson looks very good against Florida State's offensive line. He looks very good. I'm high on Keir Thomas. I think that that kid is a very underrated that South Carolina defensive lineman. He plays yep. with great leverage, mm-hmm. great power. He's versatile. Jamie Robinson is great. A great nickel weapon. Brandon Moore could maybe, you know, fingers crossed, be your answer for the boundary corner, which was just a, a carousel of like depression last year, just rotating like crap players. Oh man. Um, so yeah, Adam Fuller is definitely without question. That's the easy answer. One B to me is Chris, Chris Marv. Marv. I need to, I need to see, and I did see improved play from the linebackers. Emmett Rice was so much different at the end of the year than when he started. Yeah. Um, so I think with Chris Marv, you know, not to, not to, totally argue against you but i was gonna say emmett rice won and i think he impressed me by having sounds like a a hyperbole but the courage to really start the young guys and start developing them young knowing Mm -hmm. that it was gonna i mean people are having these conversations because of the overall performance and like that's a risk in an industry where it's not hard to get canned for one bad year you know when to be like hey look coach let me start these young guys put them in let's let them you know i mean louisville two of those touchdowns were directly on Steven Dix just takes a bad angle that one cut back and they're gone. Yeah. And it's like, but I, I don't know. So for me, I, I agree with you that he didn't, his unit didn't do that great, but I really respect the balls he had, frankly, to just say, screw it. Let's put the young guys in and get them ready for next season. Cause right. And it's, did he, is he a better coach to Emmett Rice and a worse coach to Steven Dix? No. I mean, it's the same level of coaching for each player. It's just one, is materially younger. Like he got a kid like DJ Lundy, who's only been playing football for a year or two. If those guys ever decide to the light turn on, if Amari Gaynor can deal with contact better inside the box, like gained like 55 pounds apparently. So he right. And he he needed, he needed to, because he's, he's got potential. There was just a lot of plays we saw last year where he was getting washed pretty easily by like Mm -hmm. pulling linemen full lead blockers, things like that. Um, Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you too, Max. I mean, it's hard to say that any of the defensive coaches did a great job last year on the field because the defense was statistically one of the worst in Florida State history. So there's, nobody should be saying that because that would just be untruthful. But um, yeah, Marv. Yeah, but it's still yeah. Fuller and Marv. But it's I don't know. It's not quite black and white. I do think if I think Florida State needs to have at least like a top fifty defense this year, which doesn't sound very impressive but when you realize that they were trending in like the 90s and like smp plus like yeah, i think we were like 109th and fei yeah, we were yeah, yeah 108 fei f plus yeah. has 190 and the year before we were 61 smp plus and 38th and fei with harlan barnett but i'm glad you brought up marv because like as i'm probably the one that's been like shouting out about alan fuller how much i can't stand this man i don't understand like what the hell's been going on with our defense i mean you were there after the unc game where i complained about giving up 500 yards even though we won the game Right. But with Marv, I do see the Emmett Rice, you know, progression that he has played played very well. I'm like, I'm very happy he's coming back for his sixth year. He's going to be like, he's like basically Van Wilder now at this point. And like, <laughs> but to me, the one thing that leaves a lot to be desired with Marv is the linebacking recruiting. And I could specifically point to kids that like, you know, we said no to Jaden Hood, apparently. And then we bring in this Jordan Eubanks kid who's not particularly someone that, you know, is a take for many top tier programs. So that, that, that's more my concern with Marv. 
is that I don't think he's going to be able to reload actually the, 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 his uh, linebacking core pretty well. Well, you'll see this year because uh, th- there was a number of linebacker transfers that I think they could have gone on if they wanted to. Kind of yeah. the same thing that you saw with like the offensive line. Now, obviously, they were kind of whale hunting. I'm sure they wanted like a kid like a Wanye Morris or some of those other guys that like mm-hmm. the Oklahomas get. But for the most part, I think they want to bet. There were some spots where they didn't want to bet on the youth. They wanted more competition with like specifically the secondary. And there were some like linebacker where I penciled that I thought they were going to get a transfer. And it's like, no, we're going to bet on Steven Dix. We're going to bet on DJ Lundy. We're going to bet on Amari Gaynor, figure out how to play inside. And maybe we can reclaim one of those kids like a Jaleel McCray or like a Kalen Deloach. So they're betting on the mm-hmm. youth there. Now, if there's deficiencies in 2022 linebacker recruiting, huge red flag. They're in on some kids right now. Um, I can't remember the kids first. I think it's like Jaron Willis, uh, Ja'Cory Thomas. There's, And I think Ja'Cory Thomas will end up being a linebacker. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not a big recruit, Nick, or whatever. But if we don't get any linebacker results in recruiting in 2022, then you really got to start having some question marks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, tell you what folks, interviewing makes me hungry. And uh, if hearing my voice makes you hungry, or if just whatever you've been doing today makes you hungry, grab yourself a Built Bar. I know, you've heard it from me once, but you're going to hear it a hundred times. These things are incredible. It's like someone took all the good things about a protein bar and all the good things about a candy bar and boom, smashed them together. They got 18 flavors, six new, 12 original. As you know, I am a massive fan of the peanut butter. I'm a huger fan. A huger? Bigger? I don't know. I love the peanut butter brownie. Peanut butter brownie actually has 19 grams of protein, but all the bars have at least 17 grams of protein. That's right up there with the biggest, you know, weight gaining bars uh, on the market. But they only have under 200 calories. Uh, They only have five grams of sugar, five grams of carbs. It's a phenomenal ratio, so do yourself a favor, pre-workout, post-workout, or just any time your taste buds deserve a treat and you don't want to have to pay for it in the gym later, grab a Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your order. Absolutely. So, Trey, let me ask you this. I was listening to another program. It wasn't y'all's. And um, Good. they were they were they were venting about spring games and how the problem with spring games is that, you know, if if your offense does something good, that means the defense did something bad and vice versa. I thought that was an extremely unnuanced take, but I want to hear yeah. from an from an expert. <laughs> right. I'm not, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think about spring games and, and specifically what are you looking to see in this spring game to feel better heading into summer? Uh, yeah, that's that's a fun. That's a fun take. Uh no, there's plenty of things that you can take away from. You can take away, how about your the crown jewel of your transfer recruiting class? How does he look in live, not exactly live game action, but how does McKenzie Milton look? Does he look mobile? Does he have command of the offense? How comfortable is he with the playbook? How much of the actual playbook can they use? Like they were probably only using like 20 to 25% of the playbook last year. There was a very small install. How many of the other things that Mike Norvell is known for, like the verticality in his offense, like how many of those things are going to get installed? Who are going to be the guys? There's really interesting battles at receiver. Mm -hmm. There's really interesting Mm -hmm. battles in the secondary. Like who is going to emerge in the secondary with all those talented players? Um, Who's going to be in the starting rotation at receiver? Now there is a, I mean, there is, it's not exactly a zero sum game, but if, 
if Kentron Poitier is 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 burning Demory Tate, you feel good, you feel a little bad, but there's still things you can take away from the quality of the play. I just want to see, I want to see how a team, how a team operates that's more in what the vision of Mike Norvell has for his team. Mm-hmm. With more install time, like guys, this is what my offense really looks like. This is what my defense really looks like. The position battles are interesting. The who's going to step up kind of the last vestiges of like the Willie Taggart air. Will Akeem Dent make the jump? Will Travis J finally take advantage of the athleticism? How many transfers are going to start on the defensive side of the ball? What's the running back rotation going to look like? You had a guy like Jay Sean Corbin that really started to put it on at the end of the year. Um, did really well in off-season conditioning. Can Keyshawn Helton regain his form? He came back really fast from a really, really, really gruesome injury. There's so many things to watch for during the spring game. It's not as simple of if A does good, B sucks, or A is only doing good because B sucks. Just, just use your eyes and your brain. There's plenty, there's plenty of valuable things to take away from. Now, however, don't fall into the trap of the star of the spring game is going to be the star of the season. If Deontay Sheffield, the one year he had like 17 receptions or whatever, he was not the starting running back. Or Malik Henry. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) well, be tempered, but you can still take things away. Don't oversell it, but don't completely, don't completely act like it means nothing. It, it, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think for me, it's I think the easy take right is like it's going to be the quarterback battle. Um, But I think you're right. I'm interested to see who on this team can catch the ball. And I don't mean obviously their hands work. Right. But like Mm -hmm. if we get into a 2013 national championship situation, like who are we going to, you know, in that moment, we all knew Kelvin Benjamin was getting the ball or at least getting the first attempt at getting the ball. Right. Like no question. This team doesn't even have any, anyone close to that. Not unlike our basketball team, right. With the emergence of Raekwon gray, like, who, for me, that's what I'm looking for, right? Who in the receiving core is going to be the guy that when we need a first down, that's who Jordan Travis or McKenzie Milton's looking at. Right, exactly. Yeah, and then, like, you also go with, like, to me, the one thing that you stuck out for me, what you just said was who – it's, like, do-or-die moment for a lot of these kids. Like, you know, they're in the third year. Like, Kalen Delos, like, we need to see him actually take steps, maybe potentially being a starter. Akeem Dent, can you actually catch a ball instead of, you know, hit, hitting your hands? Or do you're going to burn every possession? <laughs> Dante Lucas, are you able to – stay calm and just not you don't have to fight everybody else on the other team like relax you can stay calm and be fine and that to me is like it's a last chance for a lot of these kids and i we t- i said earlier we had, had 23 kids transfer out i wouldn't be surprised if see four to five more actually leave after the spring game 100 percent, because there is actual competition on this roster you are not you are not entitled to a, a starting guard spot just exactly. because you're the only blue chip offensive lineman we've recruited in like two or three years. Like it's not like that anymore. None of these spots are gifted to you. There's legitimate competition at every single level of this team. And it's going to make the whole team better. But like you said, like you said, Andres, it's, there's going to be some other people leave. And I'm not really sure that that's a bad thing to be honest with you. Exactly. No, I'm hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll definitely not see kids, you know, thinking that they're going to start on the offensive line because their dad was in the pro bowl a bunch of times. That's for sure. Yeah. Going to have, going to have some real battles. I'm pumped about it. So then let's bring it all back around. Use one of your favorite words in the aggregate. How are you feeling about 
projecting Mike Norvell's future based on what you saw last year, what you've seen this offseason. Do you think he makes it to the end of his current contract or do you think he's the guy that's going to set up the next guy? Like it all depends. So I, and we've talked about this on the triple option where this year is vitally important to whether Mike Norvell has a chance at being the guy, the guy who gets mm-hmm. extended, the guy who takes Florida state back to the promised land, possibly. Now, if he sucks again this year, that doesn't mean he's going to get fired. Florida state doesn't have the finances. He'll make it to year three or four. Like it doesn't matter what his 21 game record is. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know that's going to, that's going to piss a lot of people off. We just, we, it, it is what it is. And the reason that it doesn't matter as much is because they got rid of the last guy after 21 games. So, this season is going to determine whether Mike Norvell can be the guy. I, it's not a, he's not going to get fired after the season, no matter what happens. I think boring, like Owen 12 or something. But I also think that if he wins four games this year, even though he'll still have a job going into year three, I think you can pretty much scratch. He's just not going to have enough time. He's just not going to have enough time to be the guy. There's just going to be a not a lot, a lot of stuff on the field. So I think he's got all the attributes to be the guy though. He's, a great offensive mind. He's a flexible offensive mind. He's got a proven history of hiring, hiring very good assistant coaches and replacing them when they leave. Um, he's very organized. He's very organized both on the recruiting trail and the way that he builds his program. And he's also seems to actually be a pretty good recruiter. He's got a, he's got a very, um, he's got a different approach. He's got, He's got a lot of buy-in from his assistant coaches. They recruit as a team very well. Mm-hmm. And listen, you saw him. Like, he was in Memphis. Like, he's not – he looks like a preacher, but he's not – he knows how to play the game. So, if you had a if you had a, a checklist of, I want a national championship coach, and he needs to do – I named every single thing of, like, your ideal head coach, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And So, he's got – He's got the attributes, but he's also there's no room for error this year. And by room for error, I mean you can't lay an egg, or else there's just he won't be the guy. And the no, next and then, guy will be the guy. And then he might run out of time because we also forget to mention that the one big thing that's also going to be happening soon is there's going to be a new AD that's going to be hired. And yep. typically, the AD that you know that's going to come in is going to basically want to bring in his own guy. If Norvell doesn't have a like a six win season why would I keep this guy attached to me? Cause typically in professional sports, you see all the time when a GM hires a new coach and typically they want, they, if they're going to get fired, they're going to go get fired by their own choosing by their own guy. So right. definitely to me, this year one right here is probably the most important year. And it's going to be significant to see how Norvell's future is going to be after this year. You know, you may hear me kvetch about no college sports, but that doesn't mean there isn't a ton of sports going on this weekend. We got a lot. We got, MLB, the NBA, the NHL, both of those last two are headed for the playoffs. And there's UFC, there's MMA, but most importantly, the Kentucky Derby, the first leg of the Triple Crown is happening. And if you don't like horse racing, well, no one really does, but it's fun to bet on. So if you need to bet on it, go to betonline.ag, use promo code Locked On, and when you put some money in for your first deposit, they'll actually give you 50% of that as a welcome bonus. Again, BetOnline.ag. Use it now. Thank me later. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Trey, we really appreciate you coming on here, breaking down the state of the FS union with us. And look, I think bright things are ahead. I think this is a 
not as optimistic of a conversation as we had last time, but to be fair, we were all riding the high of the UNC win. Had yeah. we had the conversation one week later, this would be much more optimistic than that. So I think we're, I think we're in a good spot. Now, before we let you get out of here, the people that listen to this, they want to know about the man, the myth, oh. the legend, Trey oh, Rowland. Stop, man, that's, behind you know, the stash. So we've got a few. It questions. is looking pretty luscious right I now. Say, it looks like, pretty good, right now, my dude. God. That thing, like, do you even have to wear a mask when you go places, or can that thing ward off COVID by itself? Like, it looks I think like so. It's I just... haven't gotten sick yet, and people just kind of just they they run out of way due to fear and intimidation. So it's it's been pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's been a pretty good double, two birds with one stone there, but uh. Yeah, I don't dap myself up pretty hard. I'm not a man, myth, or legend. Uh, I do have a dope ass mustache. I will, um, I will, I will praise myself for that. Give myself a little pat on the back. There you go. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's 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 just a god given talent to grow yeah, a stash yeah. like that. A lot of facial so, testosterone. Oh, oh yeah. So I was watching the the Travis Hunter clip, you know, and he's in the seven on sevens, and he he gets this great little pick in the end zone, and as he's run by the guy, you can hear him say to the, uh, you can hear him say to the quarterback, "Oh, he threw the ball to the wrong team." Oh, that was great. That was very saucy. I like, I like it. Oh, that yeah. sauce and that sass. It was good. I liked, I liked that kid. Just, so <laughs> I, I want to know your, your ground rules in your opinion of on field trash talking during a game. Like, what do you think? How much do you think is good? Where do you think the line is? Like, what do you think is off limits? I mean, I feel like you probably don't have a lot of things that are off limits, but, no, but I'm curious no, your take on it. I'm a degenerate. I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty morally bereft person, but my only, to be honest with you, my only barometer for pretty much anything that I do or say is if it's funny or not. And if it's funny, I'm pretty good with like just saying it, especially if you're wedding. And especially if you're Travis Hunter, where you're getting like quad diamond coverage and seven on seven, and you're still just like dragging your nuts on the back of their head. <laughs> I, uh, he could say whatever he wants, but my general opinion is as long as you're funny, never stop talking. If you're unfunny, dial it back. And if you're unfunny and losing, just never say a word, never say words. So that's my, that's my scale. That's my, it sounds like a DJ scale. DDX probably need to take a class with you how to properly do some. Oh, he's terrible. He's terrible. Yeah, he was bad. He was he sucked and he was bad at it. And um, yeah, don't yeah, don't he shouldn't have talked that much crap. That that's a good that's a good way to look at that. I love it. The Trey Rolling scale of trash talk. So then let me ask you this: Let's say you had to come down to Florida and you had to fight an alligator. Talking like a good sized gator, 10, 12 foot gator. Okay, you have to fight this thing. But you get to pick the venue for the fight, right? Like in the water, on the land, in some woods. It could even, I mean, it could be in the squared circle, you know? Like where would you choose to have this death match with said alligator? I'm not going anywhere near water. I've seen way too many planet Earth, and I've seen a lot of gator underwater death rolls. So I'm sticking away from water. Um, I'm going to, so I've been watching a lot of Rambo recently. And I'm also an aficionado of mid eighties Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies. So I think that I am just by osmosis. I'm a master death trap merchant. So I've got punji sticks. <laughs> I've got, I've got branch traps. I've got like Vietnamese, like poop holes. Like I'm going to just, you got to give me some time and let me rub myself in the local mud, but I'm going to be, I'm going to just, I'm going to wish the gator, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the gator wish he just killed himself because I'm gonna put him through a carnival of of horror and terror and I'm gonna booby trap the out of this brush area and then I'm gonna tell the gator he drew first blood 
after I stab him in the face. Like, it's going to be great. So you're basically going to prep the entire, like the last scene predator is what I'm hearing. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you're doing. Exactly. Except, right. um, first blood callback. I'm going to choose a woods in like the Northern, like Oregon, Washington area, Pacific Northwest woods. And I get three hours of prep time and to fight my gator. Okay. There you go. And then I guess, you know, coming off of that from the fighting <laughs> thing, I know, a culture man yourself, you're a big fan of the uh, the octagon, the UFC, I am. wrestling, Large and everything. Fan. And last time that we actually had you on here, I asked you about what was what's the next Conor McGregor fight you wanted to watch, and you said Dustin Poirier, and that fight actually did end up happening. <sighs> how did you, for my guy? Yeah, how did you guy. feel about that fight, and what do you think is going to be the next thing moving forward for him or the division in general? Man, that was solid. So it just shows that the evolution of mixed martial arts, the calf kicks are so important in mixed martial arts just because boxing has gotten so much more important. So you see a lot of fighters that have like a heavy lead leg, like very bladed stances uh, because a lot of guys are proud of their jab. They're proud of their stand-up. Now with that, you've got a very neutralizing factor of Dustin Poirier's calf kick, and it was not dealt with well by Conor McGregor. Um, Dustin Poirier has also got very underrated defense, the way he uses, he blocks. Like if you, if you watch a replay, of the Max Holloway fight, Holloway says, and Holloway is my favorite fighter right now. I love Max Holloway. I think he's a oh, blessed. Oh yeah. Oh, oh he's, he's, he's so, man. he's so good. Um, if you see like, uh, in a replay of their fight, he goes to the corner. He goes, Oh, Poirier blocks weird. Cause he's very good with like shoulder rolls. He never mm-hmm. really got a clean shot. So that's what you saw in the fight. McGregor was laying in some stuff. Poirier rolled with it. Well, destroyed his legs shredded him up had a very good lead hook was very good mm-hmm. uh very good at stopping connor there so what's next for mcgregor i mean whatever he wants he's still a cash cow he's he's honestly one of those fighters that's so entertaining that he's almost unless they start to pile up like out of control he's immune to like losses at this point as far as like pay-per-view value the problem with him though now is that the book to beat connor mcgregor is written and it was written by Habib, mm-hmm. but Habib wrestled bears since he like chewed out his way out of his mother's like umbilical cord. So not every, nobody had the wrestling skill. So it's like, of course the wrestler beats McGregor. Like there's nobody else in lightweight division with that kind of, with that kind of wrestling skill. But now the book to beat Conor McGregor on the feet has been written. And that's a game plan that can be copied by Tony Ferguson. That's a game plan that is definitely going to be copied by somebody like a Justin Gaethje. Gaethje yep. I love, I love Justin Gaethje and his mm. leg kicks are hellacious. So you'll probably, I would, I would personally like to see Conor McGregor fight Justin Gaethje or like a Tony Ferguson. Ferguson might be a better bet just because he's, he's coming off a couple losses. Yeah. He's on a little bit of a slide right now. And it's kind of unfortunate to see that. Yeah. And I love Tony, man. He, he's great. I, so it'll probably be somebody like that. Um, and he says that he wants to be more active. So that'll be, that'll be fine. Cause there was an element of rust. We'll, we'll see if they actually give him the upper echelon of the 155, or if they give him like a, like a Donald Cerrone level, like opponent, like a guy who's got a name, maybe bottom end at the top 10, but also tailor made to yeah. like get starched by McGregor. We'll see. Basically, the, the, the tomato can fighter. That's basically what it is. You just basically yeah, buy a tomato can. Cerrone and Cerrone's a great fighter. Like he's great, but the problem is, is that his weaknesses: slow starter, terrible at dealing with pressure, mm-hmm. 
those are, I mean, Conor McGregor is one of the best pressure fighters in the history of the UFC as far as he can, because that's what he uses pressure to get reactions so he can hit you with the left hand. Mm. And he's a notorious, like, fast starter. So it was that guy was tailor made to lose. So mm. we'll see. And how they book Conor McGregor in his next fight is that'll be interesting too to see what the promotion sees in him for his future going forward. Yeah, I think he'll definitely be the first, the first card in my personal opinion that has fans back is going to be the McGregor card. And yeah, like, that's, so. he's the biggest draw. That's the one thing when I was interning there, like you just knew that he, you interned he, at the UFC. Yeah. I was there for six months. Uh, second, second semester of law school. Did you meet Dana White? I did. Did he yell at you? Like, did he cuss nice. at you? He's actually like a super nice dude. I, I love bet. him. Dana. He's, he's the freaking man. And that's the Good. one thing to there. Like makes I, me happy. Oh, I just, it was a great experience, but no, like that's the one thing like McGregor is just seen as just a, he's just a, he's the breadwinner there. He's the reason why a lot of the stuff like they became mainstream and became cool to actually watch UFC. It's no longer, you know, a bunch of, you know, bikers and bars, you know, watching this stuff. Now it's like actually like tactical. So it's, beautiful. it's literally art. Uh, I agree. And he's, and is lost in all of the entertainment. Cause he is funny as shit, dude. That's oh, why, hilarious. that's why I fell in love with Conor McGregor. He is such an interesting fighter. Like just the things that he was doing, his stances, the way he like he'll play with like different strikes, the new things that he'll introduce fight to fight. It's great. So who knows, man? Maybe they'll throw him up against like Nate Diaz for like the third fight. Nate Diaz just is like immune to fighting anybody. He'll fight once every two years, but call everybody out. I don't know. I hope I didn't lose all your listeners talking about MMA, but I love it, dude. No, we're good, I really man. love. I wanted I love, that. We're good. <laughs> talking about it. All right. Well, you know you. Trey, thank you for gracing us with your presence this oh, late on a, on a Sunday. It. I got one more question for you, though, and this is just near and dear to my heart. Last time we asked you about pizza toppings, but let's do something <laughs> a little less controversial. Let's say it's a Friday night. Your wife says, honey, I'm going to take the kids and I'm going to take them out for the night. So you've got a few hours to yourself and you decide you're going to make a steak. Are you a cast iron skillet guy? Do you make it on the grill? What's your preferred method of preparation? And then what do you pair that juicy, delicious, medium rare steak with in the liquor department? Uh, okay. So I'd like to, I'd have to, I'd have to screw around with the marinade a little bit just because anytime I do steak now, it's, it's a lot of times it's for like convenience. Like it's just, and it, it's tough in Iowa. There's only so much grill and weather. So I would enjoy, this would be a perfect 65 degree night. I'd be on the grill. I'd probably hit it with like a basic like Worcestershire marinade, maybe throw like a little like soy in there. Something a little funky. Okay. Yeah. So not just the, cause if I'm going to do it, like I, I eat like a traditional steak all the time with like the, the Montreal steak, maybe marinate it in like Italian yeah. dressing. So I do yeah. that a lot. So I'd want to go something funky, like hit me. I don't know. Yeah. It's some garlic in there. Garlic, a little Worcestershire. So I do that. Um, I would also, Next to the steak, I would have a uh, a grill, like one of those perforated grill pans with asparagus mm -hmm. in it. And just, okay. just asparagus the shit out of it, maybe with some zucchini in there. Heavy butter. Heavy butter. <laughs> a lot of, lot of the Midwest churned butter, salt, pepper, garlic powder. Bring it out. Uh, I've been getting this is so daddish of me. Because I can't like I can't booze like I used to. I used to be like just a certified maniac. So now on the weekends I only got a time for like a couple dad beers. So I've I've moved into like the craft area. Oh boy. So I'd probably oh, go with like uh like a nice imperial like stout, maybe something from like Founders Brewery. If you guys have ever had any oh, of yeah. it mm -hmm. really good. Uh just a nice thick stout. And then 
you said I had a couple hours to myself. So I'd actually probably try to eat and drink it pretty fast. And then I would have the rest of the stouts in that pack while I'm playing UFC two and using BJ Penn to beat the shit out of George St. Pierre over and over and over again. Okay. As much video game time as I can. For my I love it, man. That sounds like a heavenly evening. And this is just been, it. It sounds nice. This right. Beating of GSP <laughs> over and over. Well, with the asparagus oh, no. and the butter, dude, I'm a big guy. I've, I've gotten into cast irons recently, you know, so I do the steak in there and then I put, let the butter melt around. I actually lit a steak on fire last night. Ah, uh, it's fine. No, I, no, it was great. The whole, the whole, the whole pan lit on Char. fire and I, I blew it out and then the steak Just was like great. like you planned it. Just, yeah, right. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Just that's how we drew it up, kids. You know, it's like when the, uh, if a ball gets tipped and the receiver catches it in the end zone, oh, yeah. that's yeah. how you drew it up. That's a perfect, that's a perfect post dad evening for your boy. Dude, that sounds incredible. And Trey, this has been incredible for us, man. Thanks for coming on folks. Thanks for listening. We love you. We're glad to have you. We love Trey Rowland and we're glad to have him. This was locked on Seminoles with myself, Drake and Trey Rowland.